Last week on HPH, we told you about two men, the 20th President of the United States, James Garfield, and all-around insane person, Charles Guiteau. In that episode, we focused on their early lives, the successes of Garfield, the failures of Guiteau, and the events that sent them on a historical collision course. In this episode, it's time for that collision to happen, and it's definitely a violent one, but it's what happens after their moment in time that may actually define just how crazy and sad this story really is. So, grab yourself a drink, settle in, and get ready for the violence and idiocy that is this episode of 100 Proof History, titled The Assassination of James Garfield Part 2, Garfield Fucking Hates Mondays. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Once again, welcome in, listener. I'm your main host, Greg. And I am your co- main host slash possibly sexy, but you may never know it, host Christopher. And this is 100 Proof History, but you know that, don't you? Oh yeah, you knew that already. Stop playing coy. (laughs) You know who the fuck we are, right? Yeah, you do. Little sexy thing. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Ooh, I see a wedding ring. You have a wife, huh? Huh? (laughs) Can I buy you a drink? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Does she know where you are right now? <laughs> Do you know where you are right now? <laughs> You're in the lion's den, baby. Oh, you do know where you are. Why don't you have another drink? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. This is uh, part two of our James Garfield. Rather, the assassination of James Garfield series. Spoiler alert. I know it's titled that, but I just can't help but feel I gave something away there. Oh, yeah. You think maybe he's going to get away with it. He's like, no, it's not going to happen. Get away with it? Being a good dude? Oh, he's (laughs) this motherfucker. (laughs) Smug asshole. He thinks he's going to get away with being an all-around nice guy. Good president? Doubt it. Nope. Piece of shit. Uh, A poor man as president? Nope. That fucking can't fly. Let's fucking end this right now. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm excited to finish up this story. Um. That's That sounded worse than I meant it to sound. I'm not excited to finish the story. I'm excited to tell you guys the second half of the story. is like Yeah, the next thing is even worse, so. <laughs> <laughs> That'll keep them coming back. Well, Hambone's still going to be there. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> We're off to a roaring start already, so let me just go ahead and get our source out of the way. That is Destiny of the Republic by Candace Millard. And once again, a very entertaining book, very highly recommended. I, I can't recommend this book enough. It's It was so good. Even with, I think we're going to end up doing close to three hours on the Garfield assassination, which is pretty crazy in itself. But even with all that, there's a lot I wanted to put in here. We just couldn't. And I, I feel like I said a lot, but this book, I would highly recommend picking up and reading and just picking up the little milieu that we couldn't put in here for you guys. I mostly agree with Chris. Uh, he said he couldn't recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, and I'll do it right now. <laughs> okay, go. I recommend this book. It's a good read. Done. <laughs> That's enough. That's Man. enough. Chris is standing hard on this book. <laughs> <laughs> I it's, am. It's, it's a good read. Simping. 
simping real hard for Candace. Mm-hmm. Hit me up, Candace. Simping ain't easy. <laughs> Greg's even got, uh, for our video watchers out there, Greg's even got the Ron Swanson mustache, and he just nailed that Ron Swanson book recommendation. I recommend this book. It was good. Thanks, Greg, for the superlatives. Like, really drove home how much you enjoyed the book. Well, you know, like my mom always tells me, I'm amazingly awesome at superlatives, so let's rock on. (laughs) All right. Well, Christopher, are you ready to get into the second half, the final half of this story of James Garfield, Charles Gateau, and Mystery Guest? Ooh, mystery. Might have invented the telephone. I don't know. Mystery, though. Mystery, mystery. (laughs) You know what, Greg? Let's do it. When we last left you, James Garfield had risen from abject poverty to become a teacher, a school president, a brigadier general in the Union Army, and a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. He had also become such a respected man and orator that he became the Republican nominee for president after giving a speech to nominate someone else, and despite the fact he had absolutely zero interest in becoming president. In 1880, he won the presidency, much to his own chagrin, and was inaugurated in March of 1881. Just a couple of months later, his biggest political rival, a New York senator named Roscoe Conklin, resigned and was out of the picture. And now Garfield, who was a big believer in civil rights for the recently freed enslaved people, as well as fair reconstruction for the shithead Confederates in the South, would be free to effect positive change in the world. Finally live up to his, you know, his campaign with all the hope and change and the, you know, the the posters of him with the red, white, and blue facing sideways, kind of looking like Shea Guevara for some reason. I don't know. Um, he was free to do it, man. He's going to change the world. One step at a time, though, you know? Mm-hmm. It's baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps. On the other side of the story was one Charles Gateau. When he was 18, Gateau had flunked out of college, joined a sex cult, got kicked out because he was a stinky douchebag, became a very bad lawyer, got big into religion, and then got big into politics. It's almost like my biography, except I was never a lawyer, you know? (laughs) I wish. Right? Maybe my parents would have been proud of me. Uh, well, probably not. I mean, you still have the sex cults and, you know, the multiple divorces, the cocaine problem. You have everything that a lawyer should have, you know, just not the law degree. (laughs) So... Oh, I hate myself. Go ahead. In 1880, he briefly read a speech in New York that was supposed to support Garfield's presidency. It didn't go well at all, but he was super convinced that it led directly to the election of James Garfield. And that's the thing, like, he didn't even finish the speech. (laughs) Right. He got up there and just was stumbling over his lines and was pulling shit out of his pocket and then eventually, like, he just put it away because he was like, well, I knew there were there were other people up there waiting to speak. and Yeah, it was hot. The lights were too bright. Yeah. It, it, it's <laughs> like, so, you know, I don't want to finish. It's like me when I try to do an improv. I'm like, I need a profession. I'm like, cat wrangler. I'm like, well, that's not fucking funny. I can't do anything with that. No, sit down, <laughs> sir. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> you got booed off the stage. And I'm like, yeah, I heard a few laughs out there. I think it's going well. <laughs> I, you know? Nobody gave me customer service representative. You idiots. (laughs) Like I have index cards. Give me a profession. 
janitor. And I start shuffling the cars. No, that's not going to work. Um, another one. <laughs> another professional. <laughs> For all five minutes of open mic night. And they're like, please leave, sir. Please never come back. Like, but I thought I'd get free drinks for coming up here. No, just get the fuck out. We don't even want you out there laughing at people. (laughs) Well, because he believed he had helped so much, Gateau began seeking out a job as a foreign minister to Austria, but then decided he'd rather go to Paris. And I don't know why, because that city smells like pee, from what I hear. It's just full of rude Frenchmen who hate Americans. But I guess, you know, city of lights... Once in a lifetime. Anybody can go to Austria, but uh, Paris, that's a special trip, right? Ah, the old city of Paris. Mm. Last time I was there, though, there was this uh, skunk in a little beret chasing around my wife. She's (laughs) running, but he eventually catches her and buys her a drink. And Well, next thing you know, I'm sleeping in a hostel. (laughs) They got the hotel room. Fucking bullshit. Rapey ass skunk. It was already a bad trip because she was walking through the airport and that painter accidentally painted the white stripe down her back. He's like, oh shit, you look just like a female skunk. Like, oh, oh no. Oh no. Here comes the rapists. <laughs> Run, honey. Why aren't you running? You're supposed to prance away. Why are you no. welcoming him? <laughs> no. You're welcoming the advances. <laughs> so he voluntarily raped her, basically. <laughs> she consented, but I, you know, I didn't. <laughs> Rapey ass skunk. You know, and the next day, I tried the same thing. Yeah? Well, I was sitting there kind of forlorn mm-hmm. on a bench, and um, I noticed that the bench I was sitting on, and I was in a nice suit. Mm-hmm. It had just been painted white. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, Fuck. What am I going to do? I've ruined my suit. I look like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Wife is shacked up with this rapist skunk, voluntarily <laughs> on her part, of course. <laughs> don't have my wallet. Don't have my cell phone. Mm-hmm. You know, reaching in my pocket. What do I have? Oh, pack of Mentos. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I pop one. I roll around on the bench all of a sudden. My dark suit is now a pinstripe suit. You're such a genius. Yeah. And I, oh. I, you know, I look good, dapper on the town. Mm-hmm. I start walking around. I try to chase a woman down. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was a man. It, it was a mime, specifically. <laughs> a mime. I got arrested and thrown in jail. But the important part was I turned something bad into something good. That then went bad again. But that part where I turned it good, mm-hmm. hey, that was all me. And then, and then I, I think you, you told me this story once. Uh, Doesn't it end with you getting raped by a skunk in prison? So it all kind of like full circle? That was also voluntary. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. Well, whether he wanted to go to Austria or Paris, it didn't really matter because Gateau stood the same chance of getting either job as I do of saving my marriage. Zero. But, uh,. She's grown accustomed to a certain lifestyle, so she can't fucking leave me. (laughs) She's like, I need that sweet podcast money. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You go nowhere. (laughs) No, you're not. Hey, baby, just got another 10 patrons. She's like, God damn it. God, it's, it's, it's the podcaster version of faking a pregnancy. Like, even if I don't get any patrons, I'm like, hey, look, six more subscribers. She's like, anchor patrons. Damn it. 
Hey, if she leaves you, she's going to get a quarter of our podcasting money. <laughs> I know, she is. She's going to start a 25-proof history. It's going to be way better than this fucking show. I'm going to welcome her in as a sister wife. <laughs> then I'll have 75% of the podcasting money. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Do it! I'm going to produce the saddest podcast all by myself. <laughs> you guys want to hear about history? Whatever. It'll be 12.5% history because you feel like half a man at that point. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know how many podcasters kill themselves every year? Well, it's about to be one more. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, through a series of events, Guteau realized that he wasn't getting that job. And then he heard the voice of God telling him he was going to have to kill James Garfield to save the Republican Party. And that's the short version, guys. But uh, you should really go listen to part one if you haven't already. Because it's a very crazy, very interesting story. And you know what? We worked really fucking hard on it. Really fucking hard. Wolf dick, up all night. No animal crackers. Just fighting through it. Like the hunger pains and putting together that episode after we worked so hard to talk about it for you know a few hours hey he's a good producer what do you expect yeah that's true also who listens to part two without listening to a part one that's weird you're weird if you're doing that right now well some people just like to see the finish you know they got a porn hub and it's a 12 minute video and they skip to 11 30 you're like huh that's how it ends I don't have to spoil the rest of the story. Does yeah, it, you but know? What, if it, what if it starts with a married couple falling in love and having sex, and then it ends with two dudes jizzing on a clown's face? Doesn't matter. It, it doesn't you fucking saw, make sense. They saw the, you some know, people you listen to the whole thing. Some people just like the spoilers. They like to spoil the ending. Well, spoiler alert. The clown is Chris. <laughs> yeah, college finally paid off. Finally uh, put that clowning college to experience. Made some good money, made some friends, most importantly. Tragically, I got a disease. I'm not allowed to donate blood anymore. People don't want to play basketball with me because they're afraid my sweat will, you know, infect them. But you know what? It was worth it. It was a good time. You know what? I'll I'll, I'll do it again. If I can go back in time, I'd, I'd do it again, you know? Me and my buddies, we were, we were in a car and we hit a light pole and, uh, I mean, it was a bloody mess. They had to get uh, 24 ambulances there to transport all the bodies in that car. (laughs) I was trying to put a tourniquet around my buddy's leg, but every time I kept pulling this rag on my pocket, it just kept getting longer and fucking longer. (laughs) He bled out. He's dead. He bled out well before that handkerchief got out of my pocket. I just closed his eyes and silently gave him a little... On his nose. <laughs> oh, may he laugh in peace. <laughs> you know, the paramedics got there, you know, and that, as they do, they started pulling things out of his pockets just to try to get some identification. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of pictures of uh, missing children for some reason. <laughs> I like how we went from darkness, I have AIDS, to lightness, bunch of dead clowns, to darkness, bunch of missing children. It's just a nice little roller coaster of emotion, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> it was just nice. It let me know, like, even after he was dead, it's like, oh, he had this 
this vigilance about him that I didn't know about in life. You know, he was uh-huh. behind the scenes trying to, you know, he's trying to solve all these cold cases of these children that have been, they've been gone for years. They'd actually yeah. like found a couple of them, but he's still <laughs> in their pictures. You know, he's still ever, ever, uh, ever on the watch. <laughs> it was nice of him to be able to bring closure to those families, you know, try to work hard on that, trying to, yeah. you know, just let them know what happened to their kids. Is, Life's passion. I never knew about it, but <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of them. So he was working a lot of cases at once. Apparently, <laughs> pouring out for Greg's buddy John Wayne Gacy, right in the gutter. Not my, my I was pretending to be you, clown. <laughs> oh shit! Not me, clown. I got confused. It just went all over the place. My brain is just riddled with HIV. Okay, I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> Let us continue with the story of this orange cat. I guess, whatever. (laughs) Well, Gateau was all set to kill the president, but he knew he had to get his ducks in a row first. Well, he knew once he killed Garfield and saved the world, he'd be an instant celebrity. So he went to work on editing his religious book, The Truth, a companion to the Bible. Like Greg told you last week, this book was completely plagiarized from another book written by the One-Ida community leader, John Noyes, despite Gateau prefacing the book with a single sentence that read, quote, A new line of thought runs through this book, and the author asks for it a careful attention. Thank you, Greg. You're welcome. And little known fact, earlier in his life, Gateau had tried to sell the book to a noted Boston publishing firm. When they refused... He self-published 50 copies and just put that firm down as the publisher anyway. He didn't sell a single copy, but he didn't really care because he had no intention of paying the printer anyway. Well, with that taken care of, Gateau realized he would need a gun. On June 6, 1881, he took a little stroll to a nearby sporting goods store where two different guns caught his eye. There was one with a wooden handle that cost $9, but for only a dollar more, he could get one with a pearl grip. He was drawn to the second one because he could picture it being displayed in the State Department library after he shot the president. Like, nobody's going to come see it if it's a fucking wood handle. Like, (laughs) bullshit. (laughs) Piece of shit. You believe this fucking idiot shot him with that gun when there was a pearl handle just sitting there for a dollar more? (laughs) What a fucking more. (laughs) You know, you got to think about these things. What a cuck assassin. (laughs) I want to see a real bull assassin, you know? Yeah. Well, it didn't really matter because he didn't have any fucking money. So he went to a friend of his brother-in-law who had previously lent him $10. Gatol told him he was still broke and needed another $15. He said, hey, man, as soon as I get this 25 bucks that's coming to me, I'll pay you back instantly. Don't worry about it. I just need a little bit extra money. And that guy agreed, mainly because Gatol was emaciated and wearing dirty, worn clothes, and he figured Gatol needed it for food. And the red light was lasting forever, and the guy's just knocking on his window, Gato with the <laughs> sign. He's trying not to make eye contact, but his cell phone's dead, and there's like $40 just sitting in the open ashtray of his car. He's like, oh, shit. Shit. What do I do? Just what if Jesus is watching me right now? Jesus would hate me for what I'm about to... Okay, fine. And just hands him $15 and goes home and tells his wife, I was a good person today. I gave this... Poor homeless man, $15, and his wife's like, you know, we can't pay the electric bill this month. 
don't know what the fuck you're doing with our money. He's like, no, 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 no. God, God will provide for us, baby. I, I did something good. I did something good. I feel good about myself. And you spend it on hookers again. No. Why do you always do this? This is one fucking time, Darlene. One goddamn time that you caught me. But it was just only once. And you know what? Fine. This, this isn't working for me either. You know what, bitch? It's over. It's, it's fuck. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Oh, God. His sign said, we'll work for food. Yeah. And I made him work that ass. Don't worry, baby. <laughs> it's not like it's just wasting. Oh. You ever start doing a bit and then it cuts really close to home? And you're like, oh, God, I've actually had this conversation with my wife. And you're like, this is never, I don't know how to make this funny because I'm just getting sad right now and thinking about all the pain in my life. Did that ever happen to you? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah, me either. No, <laughs> me either. No, never, uh, no, but me either. But, uh, oh, is that a revolver on the floor? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, instead of getting himself some food and maybe a new suit, and, you know, like all the signs say, just need a suit for work and need some food, Gateau marched right back into the gun shop and bought the pearl-handled forty-four caliber pistol, a box of ammo, and a pen knife. The shop owner even cut him a deal and gave him all of it for the low, low price of $10. Didn't even need that loan. Son of a bitch. Yeah, he took the other six bucks. He's like, all right. Cooked another one. All right. He's going to buy me a brand new automobile. And I'll still have $4 left over for the movies. And a bucket of popcorn. And a prostitute. Oh, wait. I've got 75 cents left. And it's a 18 fucking whatever. I'm going to buy a house. <laughs> you know, because that's a million dollars today. Yeah. And then I'm going to tell my kids they're lazy because they can't pay their way through college and buy their own home by the time they're 30. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> you just want everything handed to you, I guess. <laughs> the shop owner was so kind and so helpful, he even suggested Gato get out of city limits and go down to the river if he wanted to practice shooting. Everything's legal down by the river. Even sleeping in a van. Yep. Now, Gateau wasn't a complete moron, uh, just a partial moron, and he remembered old John Wilkes Booth had wound up dead after killing Abe Lincoln. And so he had to decide if he wanted to go out in a blaze of glory like JWB, or go to jail. And during his time as a wandering hobo that freeloaded train rides and hotel rooms, Gateau had actually spent a night in a New York City jail known as the Tombs. Naturally, it earned that name because it wasn't a super nice place to end up. So, one Saturday in June, he went to the Washington, D.C. jail and asked for a tour. I'm like, okay, come on in. 25 cents. We'll show you around. This is a normal thing we do now. You want some, uh, some frozen corn that you can huck at the prisoners? And then watch them scoop it up off the floor and greedily eat it because we starve them to death. Won't this be fun for everyone? <laughs> I mean, that's not so far-fetched. I went to one for free in school when I was a kid. Like a local yeah. jail. Yeah. It's like one of those scared straight things, I guess. But like, mm -hmm. we were just regular in-school field trip there. Oh, uh, is this a real story? This is a real story? They this is a legit story. Jail? <laughs> out, of, out of character, this is a real story. Um, no, for real. Like, we went to a fucking jail, and there was, like, all these dudes just fucking pounding. 
on like the plexiglass, like cussing at little kid. I mean, dude, I'm telling you, we're probably like seven years old. Just cussing us, like spitting at the glass, the whole, the whole nine, dude. It was fucking awesome. Well, kids, we were a little short on the budget this year. We couldn't take you to the zoo like we promised. We'll take you to a different kind of a zoo. <laughs> but please stay back. <laughs> These animals are very dangerous and they want your skin. Yes, they do. <laughs> they do. Well, after Gateau went on his tour, he was content with getting arrested, saying, quote, Greg has to say something else. I thought it was a very excellent jail. It is the best jail in America, I understand. End quote. People keep saying, everybody says, it's the best jail. Tremendous jail. <laughs> well, with the leg work done, Gateau had to decide when and where to kill the president. His first choice was the Washington Church, which Garfield attended religiously. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got him. People are like, don't put jokes in your history podcast, but how can you not? How can you not? History's just crazy, right? <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta throw stuff in like that. Just keep it light. We wouldn't have three subscribers if we didn't put jokes in. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking idiots. <laughs> oh, my data tells me we now have two subscribers. <laughs> yes. Still got multiple subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You know, if I was standing on the street corner giving a speech about history and two people showed up and stuck around for the whole thing, I feel like it's a success. I would. Yeah. I mean, especially since my pants would be off. You know, just, that's that's how I speak on street corners. I mean, I think that's pretty standard stuff. Just pants down. Megaphone out. And the two people would be police, and one of them would probably tase me. But, you know, I would feel good that I had the audience. <laughs> they would learn something, I think. One of them's like, sir, sir, let us get you some help. <laughs> and then you fling shit at her, and the roided up dude's like, no, get your fucking ass up. And then he tases you, and, well, <laughs> that's an audience. <laughs> it's an audience. It counts. It counts. Yeah, the, uh, you know, I got some really good feedback from the audience this past week, Mom. Really good. Also, I need $1,500 again to get out of jail. Oh, got some new uh, patrons. Yeah, they uh, they actually housed me. They fed me. Um, things are looking up. Things are looking up. They gave yeah. me uh, some orange clothes. Yeah, some some sandals, some slip-ons. <laughs> things are looking up. They checked my vital signs. We're making it, Mom. We're making it. I got a private room because I was suicidal and saying a bunch of offensive stuff that made everybody want to hurt me. So, you know, it worked out. <laughs> Doing good. <laughs> On June 12th, Couteau arrived at the church after the sermon had already begun. He scanned the room and noticed that the president was sitting next to an open window that stood only about three feet from the ground. Could have been more perfect. Couteau could just walk outside, pull out the pistol, shoot the president, and then, you know, shout out, Six Semper Tyrannus, as was the tradition at the time. Lee Harvey Oswald fucked that up, by the way. Fucking idiot, because he couldn't. He's just mumbling. Six Emperor Tyrannus. Everybody's like, what? What the fuck you say, Lee Harvey Oswald? Six Emperor Tyrannus, South is avenged. Shut up! Shut up! You're under arrest! No, I didn't do it. I'm a pants. What? Speak up, you dumb motherfucker! Jesus! <laughs> 
Well, the only thing was, apparently, the sermon was incredibly bad. Garfield would describe it in his journal as, quote, a very stupid sermon on a very great subject, end quote. New uh, 100 Proof History slogan, maybe? (laughs) I do like it. And on this fact, both he and Gateau agreed. At some point, Gateau stood up and shouted, What think ye of Christ? What does he think of Christ? The preacher just gives the... He's good? Yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm down with the Jesus. What the fuck do you preacher? want, weirdo? <laughs> well, Gateau was mostly ignored, but that night in the very same journal entry, Garfield described Gateau as, quote, a dull young man with a loud voice trying to pound noise into the question. After the sermon, Gateau went outside and looked through the window and told himself he's going to kill him for real the next Sunday. But that Thursday... He read in the newspaper that President Garfield would be taking his wife, Lucretia, to New Jersey on Saturday. So, that Saturday, Guteau grabbed his gun, went down to the river to get more sugar time, you know, played his favorite Imagine Dragon songs to get him, you know, psyched up. You know, you're a natural boy. He's like, oh, yeah, I am. I am. Here we go. Yeah. And then he went to the train station, and he's going to handle some fucking business. He's going to kill the president, save the Republican Party, become minister to Paris, just a god amongst men. Uh, uh. But then he saw Lucretia walking with the president, and he felt bad about killing a husband in front of his wife, and he went back home to his boarding home instead. Little known fact, that night Gateau would write a letter addressed to the American people, saying that although he didn't kill Garfield in front of his wife, he knew she would be cool with it, writing, It would be no worse for Miss Garfield to part with her husband this way than by natural death. He's liable to go at any time anyway. <laughs> Super healthy 50-year-old guy. Oh, he's, uh, he's practically dead. <laughs> yeah, She's probably ready for him to die, so, you know, I'll kill him. She'll be like, you know, shit happens, uh, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Time to move on. Get me some of that ODG. Oh, boy. Some of that OD lipstick just coming out the tube. I'm disgusted with you. <laughs> it's disgusting. Dog penises are gross. That's what I learned in college. <laughs> they didn't even let me in the fraternity. I had to do all that. And they said, no, psych. Nope. <laughs> Kyle College was a difficult time for me, man. I learned some truths about myself that I did not want to know. Garfield arrived back in Washington alone on June 27th. He had a few cabinet meetings to attend before traveling out to Ohio to spend time with his wife and children. A few days earlier, his uncle had died in a carriage accident, and death seemed to be on his mind. When he spoke to guests, he would talk about the uncertainty of life, and would talk about how he almost drowned to death when he was 16. On death, he would say, quote, I do not know why it haunts me. Indeed, it is a thing that is wholly involuntary on my part, and when I try the hardest not to think of it, it haunts me the most. End quote. Begin fake quote. Oh, and I sure <laughs> do hope I don't get shot by some weirdo soon. That would be the worst. End fake quote. I always put that in there because we've talked about this several times where someone 
important dies and then everyone around him's like yeah he was talking about death a lot right before he died like saying all this foreshadowing shit like oh i hope somebody shoots me oh <laughs> you know no, i hope that doesn't happen you know <laughs> right so I, I didn't know about this part because that wasn't a written quote by him that's something he said to one of his guests that came over so he, he was one of those things like yeah he he was it was real weird right before he he died he was talking about death a lot i'm important too because i'm telling you this right guys right I'm a part of the story. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, okay, what if he was on a a cheese binge? He was just (laughs) on a a soft cheese binge. He was talking about Brie a lot. You know? (laughs) Yeah, what if... I don't know. Fucking, he died in France, man. That's kind of weird. Like, what? No, he just... He's talking about the fucking things around him. So I'm like, oh, man, this this was a premonition. I know yeah. it was. I know it was. <laughs> well, not only that, if he was talking about cheese a lot, let's say it's in Washington, D.C., he's talking about cheese, and he dies, you know, two days later, whatever, you know, it's going to be a little bit longer, we'll get to that part, but let's say he gets shot two days later, and eventually dies from that, and the reporter goes to that guy, he's like, so what were you guys talking about the night before he got shot? He was really talking about cheese a lot for some reason. Like, the guy would not shut the fuck up about cheese. That gets lost to history. No one ever remembers that conversation. Nobody's like... Exactly. You know, it's not in the book. But uh, that guy goes, you know, he, he was talking about getting shot in a train station. I don't know why. Like, he kept bringing that up. It's weird, right? Oh, we were best friends, by the way. We Best friends. And let me spell my last name for you. Mm-hmm. And all that shit, you know? It's like when my wife went with her friends uh, to Vegas, and they went de- uh, to a whatever. It's like a male strip show. What it you know? It's mm-hmm. an actual production, but right. Thunder Down Under, right. you know, from Australia. But it's basically a bunch of like Chippendale artists that are Australian doing dance routines. Whatever, right? Right. Oh, by the way, this is not me. No, I started this story in a very personal manner but a guy i know is what i mean okay. a guy i know <laughs> and uh you know like two days later his wife you know catches him hitting on a dude in the casino mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That and then she's like oh well no wonder he was fucking complimenting all the dudes at thunder down <laughs> under i should have seen this a mile away and it's like no that's confirmation bias Oh, I don't think classic, that one is. Classic <laughs> confirmation bias. It's like, he's complimenting all these dudes over here. Then all of a sudden, you know, something happens to where maybe he's not being faithful to you. And oh, you want yeah. to attribute he, it to... Then you start go back and looking for the signs and everything's exactly. a sign. And, yeah, you know, okay. It's just grasping at straws. Right. <laughs> My friend. Your or friend. A, or a guy I know. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> That's a good show. I don't know if you've ever seen it. <laughs> Chippendale Rescue Rangers, my favorite thing to jerk off to. My God. All right, I just got a call from the FBI. They want me to come in tomorrow and give another statement. That's fine. It's fine. Another one. <laughs> Put it on the tab. <laughs> yeah. You guys want to pick me up or I got an Uber again? It's bullshit. <laughs> on the night of July 1st, Charles Guiteau was sitting on a park bench in Lafayette Park across the street from the White House when Garfield stepped out and began walking down the road. Guiteau shadowed the president all the way to Secretary of State Thomas Blaine's home. And just a reminder, uh, Blaine was the one who told Guiteau to fuck off for asking for a job. And he thought Blaine was just like this evil, evil man, and he was 
against President Garfield, and he had to stop him before he could affect the way Garfield thought. So on that night, Gateau watched as Blaine stepped out and joined the president for a walk. Gateau followed the two men as they walked arm in arm back to the White House. The revolver was in Gateau's pocket, but he never pulled it out. But now that he saw how close Garfield was to Blaine, he knew the president absolutely, 100%, had to die. On the morning of July 2nd, 1881, James Garfield woke up, ate breakfast, joked around, and wrestled with his two oldest sons, who were still in Washington, and then left the White House in a carriage with Thomas Blaine. Their presidential caravan consisted of only two carriages, Garfield's and the one that followed carrying his sons. There were no escorts and no guards because that was wholly unnecessary. And you know what? Won't be an issue. Won't come up. Why would you need guards? (laughs) What could possibly happen on July 2nd, 1881 to make you think, well, somebody should have been guarding the president? Nothing. Nothing. I don't even know why I put it in the outline. It's fucking stupid. (laughs) Gateau had woken up at 5 a.m. that morning in the fanciest boarding house in Washington, knowing damn well he wouldn't be returning to it that evening. I wish you could still do this. They want to check my fucking credit card to see if there's room on it. You know, you got to pay for the room in advance. It's bullshit. Oh, you got to go to the hourly motels. Oh. I mean, I do. They still make me pay in advance. Like, oh. Uh, let me see. Yeah, I know you're all going to use it for three minutes, but uh, we're going to still charge you for the full hour. <sighs> all right, fine. It's fine. I mean, you don't know it's going to take three minutes. I know how good my mouth is. I don't know how long this guy's going to last. No, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. (laughs) Might be a bit much. (laughs) It's a little much. (laughs) Got to go to one of those places instead of trying to go to the Adolf Astoria, you know, and hang out there all night with my high heel stilettos on and my fishnet hose. (laughs) Two days earlier, Gateau had read the president would be leaving town that Saturday morning. So... It was go time. Before he left, he wrote a letter to General William Tecumseh Sherman on the back of a telegraph sheet. It read, Go, Greg. To General Sherman, I have just shot the president. I shot him several times, as I wished him to go as easily as possible. His death was a political necessity. I am a lawyer, theologian, and politician. I am a stalwart of the stalwarts. I was with General Grant and the rest of our men in New York during the canvass. I am going to jail. Please, order your troops and take possession of the jail at once. Signed, Charles Guiteau. End quote. Thank you. Well, he stuffed this letter to Sherman in his suit pocket and then placed several others into a copy of The Truth and addressed it to the New York Herald, telling them they could print the whole book if they wanted, but, you know, he preferred they print it in one or two sections of the day. You don't want to overwhelm people with the the truth, man. You got to warm them up to it. You know, you got to drop hints. You got to say, hey, let's watch Magic Mike 2. She's like, again? Like, yeah, I I really like the story and the music. And then, you know, like, hey, um... Why don't we, uh, why don't we go to this bar? Uh, you know, it's most, it's going to be mostly young men, but you know, it'll be, it'll be good because you won't get harassed tonight and we'll just have a good time. You know, it'll just be me and you. We'll have a good time. You start sending her pictures. You're like, hey, don't you think this guy looks really good? He's really cut. He's been working out a lot. You know, 
And you got washboard abs. And that guy look really nice. And then, you know, she catches in bed with a guy and you're like, I don't see how you didn't see this coming. I introduced this to you piece by piece. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Toad then grabbed his pistol and headed to the Baltimore and Potomac train station. He arrived a half hour before the president was scheduled to leave. Since he knew he would soon be the center of attention, he had his shoes shined. He then gave his letters and a copy of The Truth to a kid behind the newsstand counter, knowing they would be turned in once the deed was done. And remember, The Truth was his little little book he wrote. The Companion to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Then he went outside and asked a carriage driver how much a ride to jail would be. Why do you ask? <laughs> I want to go on a tour, man. I want to throw frozen corn at the prisoners. You know, just have a good time. <laughs> what the fuck do you do on a Saturday morning? <laughs> Weirdo. Now, the price for the ride was $2, which Gato actually had. I mean, I remember, he still had six bucks from borrowing the money from his buddy. Mm-hmm. And he asked the driver to wait a few minutes for him, but he had no intention of actually paying for the ride. That's just chicken shit. You're going to jail. You know you're going to jail. You don't need the money. He's used to this shit. Yeah, just He's been load. skipping out on bills forever, dude. He's a <laughs> dine and dash piece of shit. In his mind, shoots the president, goes outside, he's like, okay, I'm ready to go. Hops in the carriage. He's just like snickering in the back seat the whole time. Gets out. Cops just start beating him with the fucking batons, throw him in handcuffs, pull the taser, tase him in the balls, and he's just laughing at the driver because the driver's never going to get his $2. Like, <laughs> sucker, <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> Got another one. <laughs> yeah. Garfield and Blaine soon arrived at the train station and walked inside. Witnesses watched as a frail, nervous man stepped out from behind the train station door and raised his pistol. Charles Gateau fired, striking President Garfield in the right arm. The bullet passed through him and became embedded in the toolbox of a now-terrified worker. Garfield threw up his arms and said, My God! What is this? As he turned to try and face his assassin, Gateau fired once again, striking the president in the back. The fatal shot had been fired. Or had it? What does that confusing question even mean? I can't tell you right now, because Greg's about to tell you the rest of the story. At which point, you're going to remember this part, and you're like, Ah, I get it. Was it the fatal shot? I don't know. I don't know. Was it? I get it. Okay. But first, we go on break. Starting now. All right, we are back from break. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I've listened to a few of these episodes. I've actually gone back and listened to this show, and I've noticed some things, and I would like to say that if there's a joke or a line that I say in the first half that just sounds weird or, you know, inappropriate, like you're like, man, that was that was too far. That was a little out of bounds. Um, I was hacked. Someone got all of my information. I suspect it was Wolf Dick. He's still mad at me. For eating all of his uh, pepperonis, but I couldn't help myself, man. It's just pepperonis. Greg, ru- you know, rustled that bag, and I came sprinting, and I got there first. Fuck you. Learn to walk, stupid. Jesus. <laughs> and if that's offensive to you because you can't walk, I was hacked again. Just saying. 
And if I wasn't hacked, it's satire. Stupid. Yeah, God. I was obviously joking. I don't uh. espouse my personal beliefs here. <laughs> <laughs> or prejudices. <laughs> I don't use this to vent my personal feelings because I don't have another no. outlet. No. 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 Not at all. Well, Greg, it is once again that time. The time we know. The time we love. The time we love to know. It is time for... Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. And a three, a two, a one. Pop your tops now. You just smell the fruit explosion coming off of this thing. You ready to start the uh, second half of this episode? To go with the second half seltzer? I guess. I, whatever. I'm good. The train station erupted into panic screams as President Garfield fell to the carpeted floor and began vomiting violently, and a red bloodstain spread across his suit jacket. Katol bolted for the exit where his carriage was waiting, but someone blocked it. As he turned to run the other way, Thomas Blaine shouted for the doors to be barred. Just as he began to panic and try to figure out what to do, a ticket agent named Robert Park grabbed him by the neck and dragged him to the nearest police officer. Gateau tried to struggle and wrestle himself away at first, but a crowd formed around him and began to chant, Lynch him! over and over. Terrified, Gateau turned to the officer who had detained him and said, I want to go to jail. Oh, yeah. he. I mean, he always planned on going to jail. It's, it's right in par- online with what he wanted. Makes sense. Hired the carriage. You know, just uh, had a moment of weakness after the shooting where he thought he could get away. That's all it was. We all have moments of weakness. Turned into a big old puss puss. (laughs) The officer dragged him outside, at which point Gateau shouted, I am the stalwart of stalwarts. Arthur is president now. He then wrestled a hand free and pulled out the letter he had written to General William Sherman and demanded it be delivered. The cops agreed and dragged him to police headquarters where they finally searched him and found the loaded gun he had used to... uh, Shoot the fucking president. Still had goddamn three cartridges in it. Yeah. People were very trusting back in this time for some reason. Like, you know, the president's like, I don't need guards. Why would I need guards? Nobody's going to try and kill me. They're like, uh, you want to come with us to jail? He's like, oh, all right. I guess I will. Why not? I guess there's like, oh, I forgot about this. And just, here's the gun, sir. Hand it to you. I mean, there had only been one president assassinated at this point. Yeah, no big deal. Really, our main source mentions that, like, no one expected another president to be assassinated because there wasn't a war on. Like, why would anybody ever be mad at the president, right? Like, he's such a nice guy. So, before, it was because of the Civil War. It'll never happen again. Never happen again. Yeah, exactly. You know, it hadn't happened that far in the past, but why would it happen again? Right. After only 10 minutes, another lynch mob formed outside police HQ. So they went ahead and took him to the fortified district jail. And little known fact, Gateau truly believed he was in the right and he was only being taken to jail for his own protection. He asked to be put on the third floor, right in front, and told the police officer transporting him, quote, General Sherman is coming to take charge. Arthur and all those men are my friends, and I'll have you made chief of police. End quote. Thank you. 
Back at the station, President Garfield was lying on the floor semi-conscious. The first doctor to reach him was Smith Townsend, who force-fed him some brandy and then ran some spirits of ammonia under his nose. We've both been there, just laying semi-conscious on the floor, and someone just pours some booze in our mouth and then put some smell and salt right under <laughs> the nose. Oh, uh, yes. I'm good. I'm good. Is it my turn? Is it my turn to throw uh, darts? We're ready? Is it, we're good? All right, all right, all right. Is it, is it time to take communion? Oh, yeah. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. <laughs> I, won't tell, I won't tell your secret. I know. I know. Jesus is watching. It's fine. Yes, Uncle Father. <laughs> well, then Dr. Townsend took his dirty-ass finger and shoved it right into the gunshot wound on the president's back. Now, you're probably thinking that it was 1881 and doctors were idiots, didn't know about infections or germs, and so this was kind of common practice. And you're half right. This was common practice in the U.S. In Europe, Joseph Lister, of Listerine fame, (gasps) was being hailed as a medical genius for coming up with the idea that doctors should sterilize themselves and their instruments. Especially if you're a jazz doctor, you gotta dip that saxophone, (laughs) little carbolic acid. Mm. Before you lay down them tasty tracks. Yeah, got alcohol wipe over the, the ivories. You can lay down that Frasier soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Mm. But when Dr. Lister went on a lecture tour in America and told them about his discovery, they called him fake news and refused to listen. Said that uh, all that disinfecting and sterilizing, it'll make you magnetic. <laughs> you know, was, I don't want no 5G in my operating room. Right. Fuck out of here. You know? you know, infection only kills like 1.5% of the people that get it. So, what are you scared of? What's your big. <laughs> <laughs> no, real talk, this does remind me. Um, last year, right as, you know, the big pandemic outbreak, the, you know, it was all happening, probably about March ish, and we're still trying to figure out what we're all going to do, right? Go to a. A well-known gas station chain. You know, there's a line waiting to go to the bathroom. This guy finishes at the urinal, and I walk up in the urinal, and he literally makes eye contact with me, and he goes, I ain't washing my hands. (laughs) My dick's clean. Like, this is very strange information you're giving me, stranger, but okay. And I go to the bathroom, and I come out, and the same guy is lifting all the lids to the pizza that they have on the little warmer, and like, very closely examining it, like breathing all over it and then closing it and then looking at the next pizza and closing it. I'm like, holy shit, we are doomed. We are doomed as a species. This disease is going to kill all of us. Then I bought the pizza and you know what? Everything worked out like 14 days later. I was feeling fine. You know, I was feeling good. I was able to go back to work. So most of that's true. Most of that's true. Not the, uh, (laughs) (laughs) good. Not the the being fine part. I'm I'm still ravaged with disease, but the rest is true. Most of it, most most of it. Yeah. Well, few of the station workers grabbed a dirty mattress made of straw and horsehair. The president was tossed on it and taken to an unused room upstairs. He was able to dictate a telegraph to his wife Lucretia. More and more doctors arrived at the scene. Charles Purvis, one of the first black surgeons in America became the first black doctor to treat a president when he ordered Garfield to be wrapped in blankets. Garfield asked another doctor what his odds of survival were. That doctor said, one in a hundred. 
Garfield calmly replied, We'll take that chance, Doctor, and make good use of it. Fuck it. I ain't scared. I ain't a little bitch. Shoot me. Whatever. We'll take the odds. Bring it on. Is that a metal moment? I don't know. I don't know if we have one this week. That might be as close as we get. Metal moment! Play it with your testicles, wolf dick. (laughs) Well, he's trying. He's trying. Robert Lincoln, who was Garfield's Secretary of War, and also son of the super-dead Abraham Lincoln, couldn't take the sight of another dying president. He left the train station and sent for a surgeon who had attempted to save Abe Lincoln back in 1865, a man by the name of Dr. Dr. Willard Bliss. And, uh, I didn't stutter there. His first name was Dr. <laughs> Although, maybe it should have been Quack. But this dude was literally named fucking Dr. because his parents wanted him to be in the medical field. <laughs> right, that's exactly what it was. They, they said he should be a doctor, so let's name him Dr. He really got hamstrung into that. Yeah. That's why I named my daughter kid who financially takes care of her father after her mother leaves her. It was a long name. It was kind of like a, a Native American name from uh-huh. yeah. my Native American blood. Um, my wife would not let me put that on the birth certificate, but that's still what I call her. Just kind of drill it into her head. That is your name, and that is your role later in life, just to provide for your father. Better than middling podcast host Greg. I didn't even know what the <laughs> fuck that meant for the first, like... 25 years of my life. <laughs> like, what the fuck is a podcast? <laughs> right. And then you find out, you're like, well, those are stupid. I'll never do that. Way to go, mom and dad. Look at me now. <laughs> well, this Dr. Bliss had once been arrested for taking a $500 bribe and more recently had been caught hawking a bullshit cure-all South American plant known as Cundurango. And Cundurango was something that uh, him and other people claimed cured cancer, syphilis, scrofula, ulcers, salt rebum, and all other chronic blood diseases. And, of course, he also thought Joseph Lister's sterilization theory was complete bullshit. As soon as he arrived, he assumed control of Garfield's medical care. He then pulled out a long probe with an ivory tip and shoved it in the president's wound to search for the bullet. He tried to take it out, but it got snagged on Garfield's broken rib, so he just pressed on the rib until the probe kind of broke free. Then he took his unwashed pinky and shoved it into the hole. Charles Purvis, who was, again, one of the first black doctors in America, told him to stop, but Bliss ignored him and then shoved another flexible, like, silver probe into the wound and moved it, quote, downward and forward and downward and backward in several directions. (laughs) So basically he put it in there and then like turned on the weed eater, just just fucking going everywhere. He was humming the hokey pokey while he's doing it. He's like, you put the black probe in, you take the red probe, and you shake it all about. Well, also remember, like, the president had been given nothing for his pain at this point. Yeah, it... Going forward, starting here and going forward, it's it's admirable and also just so sad to know that James Garfield, like, never complains about the stuff that's being done to him. Like, he's never like, oh, please, this really hurts, please stop, you know? He's never, 
refusing treatment. He's just like, oh, you guys know best. You're the doctors. <laughs> you went to medical school, so uh, go go ahead and rip me to shreds with no anesthesia. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At that point, Garfield asked to be taken home to the White House. Even though at that point in time, the White House was a fucking piece of shit. It was full of rotting wood and leaking pipes and was no place for a sick person, like, at all. This surprised me when I read the story, like, how shitty the White House was at this point in history. Well, and I remember hearing around this time, like, what a big piece of shit the White House was. So, right. it's not a surprise to me, but to really learn, like, the depths of it, like, how decrepit it was. Right. Yeah, yeah, it sold it for sure. Yeah, and it was a big surprise, you know, like, last episode, Garfield doesn't want to be president. Doesn't want it. And then, because, you know, we think about it in modern terms, everybody, all these politicians want to be president. They want to be the big man, the, you know, the head dick in charge, right? But then, you think about it back then, he has this dilapidated mansion that's falling apart, it's built on a swamp, everything's shitty inside of it, and all day, every day, he has to listen to random humans come in and say, hey, what if you made me Secretary of State and said this fuck over here, and he's like literally pointing at the Secretary of State, like, look at him. He's all fucking stupid. Why don't you put me in charge? I'll tell you what to do. That's his job, is to be the ultimate, like, man of the people inside the world's shittiest house. Like, no wonder he didn't <laughs> want that fucking job. He's like, no! God, no! <laughs> well, they loaded him up in the ambulance wagon and slowly moved him to the White House. Whenever it came to a pothole, the police would carefully lift the wagon to try and keep it from jarring the wounded president. Once they were at the White House, Dr. Dr. Gimme the News Bliss took over completely. He put the president in a room and surrounded him with screens and told all the other doctors to fuck off. When Lucretia Garfield arrived, she insisted on the family doctors staying, and Bliss reluctantly agreed, but told them they would have to be his nurses. Over the following days, as Garfield's temperature began to rise, Bliss ordered that he be given rum, wine, and morphine. Now, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> Medically. Right. <laughs> Medically, thank you. For Medically. Qualifier. I, I would love to have Dr. Bliss over for dinner. <laughs> write me some scripts. Be a fucking good old time, dude. <laughs> Oh, it looks like you have a case of ghost in your vagina, Greg. And he just starts pouring brandy down your throat. He's like, your wife's like, he's a dude. He doesn't have a vagina. He's like, shut up. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. spiritual vagina, wife. (laughs) Well, Dr. Bliss also had the president fed bacon, lamb chops, steak, and potatoes. And this is a dude that cannot stop vomiting. He can't keep anything down. (laughs) Yeah. Where did medicine go wrong? That's all I want to know. (laughs) For some reason, Bliss's treatment did nothing to ease Garfield's pain or stop his frequent bouts of sudden and violent vomiting. And since the White House was built on a swamp and malaria was a constant problem, the president was given quinine every day to keep from contracting the disease. Unfortunately, in high doses, quinine is somewhat toxic and causes severe intestinal cramping. Why would that be a problem? Perfect for somebody throwing up fucking everything. Throwing up while you're force-feeding him some grass-fed Wagyu beef. There you go. (laughs) Well, little known fact, one of the good things that came out of this was the invention of the air conditioner. As the president was lying in bed suffering from swampy heat, some Navy engineers created a machine that would blow air across huge blocks of ice into pipes 
that ran into the president's room. Meanwhile, outside of the White House, conspiracy theories began to fly. The Chester A. Arthur, his vice president, and Roscoe Conklin, who was the uh, head of the stalwarts, had orchestrated the entire thing. Mm -hmm. They had attempted assassination. People were justifiably terrified of letting Arthur become president because he was so incompetent. And again, a stalwart that was a tool of Conklin. It's really got to emphasize that over and over, you know? Mm-hmm. He's got him by the little spike collar. He's like pulling him around the room, like making him walk on all fours. Let's a skull Chester be. <laughs> Daddy Conklin, let me go. I haven't eaten two days. Chester B. <laughs> I can't call him Chester B. He can't be the A. He can't be the Alpha. <laughs> Chester B. You be quiet. He goes to work. And he has to sign some documents. And he signs Chester Beta Arthur. And he's like, I thought it was an A. He's like, No. Like if if Conklin finds out about this, no, no. Chester B. Barther. <laughs> he he doesn't let me use the. No, I can't be first in the phone book, which hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> uh, yes, it had, by the way. Oh, the phone book existed? Well, the phone did. I thought that's... Uh. Anyway, continuing on. <laughs> yeah, just to drive that point home, in one New York prison, an inmate axe-murdered another because he supported Chester A. Arthur. Another example how they trusted people too much. Why the fuck does an inmate have an axe? Okay, let's go on log-cutting duty, you uh, violent murderers. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, yeah, no, I, you guys are good, right? You're not going to murder anybody again, right? Uh, do we even need to watch you? We got some We got some new inmates in, and we need these shackles. You guys mind letting us use them? Yeah, you just want to, yeah, take those off. Here, let, uh, let, let me take them off real quick. Here, hold my gun real quick. <laughs> oh, you're a, you're a big fan of James Garfield, right? Well, why don't you read this newspaper about... How Chester A. Arthur probably orchestrated his murder? Why don't you read that? You know, just pass some time. Just pass some time, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and speaking of Arthur, um, you know, you're going to tell the rest of the story in a minute. But uh, after all this happens, he actually becomes a very well-respected president. Like, he was supposed to be Roscoe Conklin's bitch boy. But after he becomes president, he does everything right, and he kind of... Conklin's like, hey, I'm your best friend. Make me Secretary of State. And he, like, ignores his calls the whole time. Just boop, hits the red button, sends him a voicemail. Uh, and he becomes a pretty solid president. Well, yeah, and a lot of people, you know, thought he was part of this plot, but he was devastated over it. Yeah, he really was. Yeah. You know, same way he didn't want to become president. <laughs> no, he didn't just, want just that like shit ass job. And uh, he really felt for him. And, you know, he had, he had that secret invalid... Uh, Pin pal. Which oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I think is Wolf Dick, our producer's mother. <laughs> it's genetic. <laughs> so you know, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, obviously, it's not genetic if you listen two episodes ago. That's true. That's true. But maybe she also suffered a tragic accident like he did. But um, yeah, I, he was very empathetic to it and super hands off with. The transition, he yeah. totally did not want to assume the presidency while Garfield was still alive. There's nothing in the Constitution about that. And so he was 
Right. Yeah. He, he, he was mournful. Yeah. And, and just to get back to what you said, just so our listeners know, read the book. It's a fantastic book, and it goes a little bit more into it. But uh, there was a, a girl, an invalid, who wrote him letters, Arthur, saying, you can do this. You can be the president. You can be a good man. You know, tragedy creates great people. And he really took that to heart. So it was, yeah. it was a pretty cool part of the story. Yeah. Well, insane men, or maybe not insane men, Charles Gateau was having the time of his life. William Tecumseh Sherman had brought his troops, but it was to keep the lynch mob from killing Gateau, not to protect him or liberate him like he had originally thought. But how interesting that it was still his guys, right? Like, he's still outside. That is like, funny. That Gateau's is funny. like, huh, he got my letter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. when he hears General Sherman's coming, yeah. he's like, wait, fuck, am I crazy here? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Is anybody crazy? Do they do they truly know they're crazy? <laughs> maybe I'm for fucking crazy good. Cause man, motherfuckers here. <laughs> or maybe he's and like, he's, yes, all along I knew it. <laughs> he's like, it's three in the morning. Stop fucking thinking about this. Go to sleep. Jesus Christ, you got work in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, inside the prison, reporters visited Gateau and were immediately aware of how insane he was and how proud he was of what he had done. He wrote giddy letters to Chester Arthur, reminding him who got him the job. And he knew that soon he'd be released, and he'd get rich through speaking engagement, his book, The Truth, and through auctioning items relating to the assassination. He even began writing an autobiography, where he announced his own plans to run for president. Back in the White House, Garfield continued to suffer, but his only complaint was loneliness. My man. And guys, this is... There's a big part of the book we're kind of leaving out where they're just doing test after fucking test on this dude. <laughs> Cutting him open. Yeah. Putting fucking drain pipes here and drain pipes there. And like Chris said earlier, he just, he takes it all in stride. He doesn't fucking complain. Yeah. We left it out. It's kind of like when we're talking about the Psalm. You know, like, all these guys marched across no man's land. They got killed. Shit didn't happen. Nothing changed. You know, it's kind of the same thing over and over again. Just a bunch of suffering. And and don't get me wrong, I love telling you guys about suffering. But, yeah, after a while, it gets repetitive. Like, oh, hey, and they shoved a tube in his butt because he was, his fever wouldn't go down. And, uh, they, you know, he vomited all the time. He's constantly in pain. <laughs> we talk a little, a little bit about tube butt in a bit. Yeah. Get excited. So, Dr. Bliss had basically... Cut him off from all visitors. Even his family barely got to see him. Bliss said that the act of talking forced Garfield to move his diaphragm, which moved the liver, which is where Bliss believed the bullet was. Garfield replied, you know, of course, but I've moved my diaphragm every time I breathe. To which doctor basically replied, which one of us went to medical school? <laughs> That's right, me. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's enough out of you. Stop talking, too, bitch. It does remind me of uh, Lincoln, or like Mary Todd's trying to get in there to see poor Abe Lincoln as he's dying. And uh, what's his face? The Secretary of War, uh, Stanton, mm-hmm. basically like tosses her ass out of the room, says, Stop being hysterical, woman. He's just dying. Get the fuck out of here. Get that yeah. woman out of the room. He is an asshole. He was. And so is Bliss. Garfield's fever continued to climb. By the end of July, he could barely talk, and his wound leaked a constant stream of pus. 
Two surgeons were called on, and they inserted tubes into him to drain the pus, again, without sterilizing a fucking thing. Little did they know, basically his entire abdominal cavity was filled with large pockets of pus. Mm. Now, they believed the bullet had gone straight in and lodged itself against the president's liver, but they weren't super sure where it was or how deep it was. Enter Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone. Not the phone book. <laughs> it's like got two names in it. Him and the guy he called. All right. <laughs> Ever since hearing the president had been shot, Bell had been working on a device that could detect metal and produce a signal through a telephone. Eventually, he got his device working and was brought to the White House to give it a try. But Dr. Dr. Bliss said he could only run it along the right side of Garfield's body because surely that was where the bullet was. Didn't want to disturb the president too much, you know? Don't even bother. Well, you know, he's thinking it's half fucking hocus pocus anyway. Right. He knows that the president under his medical direction is quickly circling the drain. Yeah. And at this point, it was likely too too late anyway, honestly. Yeah, and you know what we should mention is he knows how bad it is. And he like for him, like you said, this hocus pocus, this is desperation time for Bliss. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, he's putting out all these public announcements about how great the president is doing and how, like, oh, it'll be fine. Recover in a day or so. You know, he'll be up uh, chasing Odie around the yard, you know, <laughs> scarfing down some lasagna. He'll be fine. He'll be fine by tomorrow. Well, and he believed that when President was actually recovering for a while. Yeah. But he also knew President Garfield was having the paper read to him every day. Yeah. <laughs> and what he said was in the paper. So, I mean, I kind of get his position on that. I think he's a fuckhead. Don't get me I wrong. Yeah, yeah. But I get why he would feed the paper one thing instead of the truth. I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago and you convinced me, but I'm going to go back to it. I think a lot of it is coach speak. Like, he has to say, everything's great. Everything's going great. We're doing great. Uh, looking forward to the new season. President Garfield's in the best shape of his life. He's going to go out there and, you know, have the best season of his career, guys. Looking good. Mm-hmm. And he goes back and he's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. This guy is fucked. He is dead. What am I doing? Call the phone guy. <laughs> Call the phone guy. What's the phone guy doing? See if he can get in here. Call the phone guy on the... What's that new thing? Oh, the phone! The fucking phone! (laughs) Well, I've been using this thing to play bowling and snake. Should I be... (laughs) No, don't! Look! Zero, 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 one, stupid! Get the gun! I'm finally the imposter. Let me just play this round out. (laughs) I've quit every other game I was in the imposter. It pissed everybody off. I finally got it. I finally got it. Let me just finish this. Then I'll call the phone guy. <laughs> the president's dying. Oh, they don't know it's me. They're checking. They are checking the vents. Look at this. Idiots. <laughs> well, again, Alexander Graham Bell was only allowed to use his makeshift metal detector on the right side of the president's body. He found nothing. And of course, he was dejected with the belief that his device didn't work and he was a failure. Mm-hmm. Now, had he scanned the president's left side, everyone would have discovered that the bullet had traveled sideways through the president upon entry, and his liver was perfectly safe. Yeah, and 
That's something I wish we could have gotten a little bit more into, and the book goes into a little bit more, is Alexander Graham Bell's story and how, like, he invented the phone, like, nobody wanted to see the phone, but, like, one of his buddies was there, and he's like, hey, let's go check this invention out, and that made him a superstar, and then, like, how much he toiled over this metal detector. Like, it wasn't just, like, I spent, like, a few hours in the lab one night, oh, shit, it didn't work, my bad, oh, it's, I still got all that phone money, that iPhone money. No, he's a, a passionate guy, passionate inventor, and uh, I do wish we had a little bit more time to get into that. Maybe someday we'll talk a little bit more about Alexander Graham Bell, but this is the James Garfield story, goddammit, so shut up, Chris, and let Greg tell the rest. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with you, because he was a big part of this book. Yeah. This book's kind of about Garfield, Gateau, and Bell. And they all kind of start from different walks of life and then, of course, converge like any mm-hmm. any good story does. But, uh, yeah, he plays a big part in the book. Not going to get into it so much here on the podcast. Right. Not enough time for cuck jokes and Chris and I living out our gaydom and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. We have time the, limits. The important things. <laughs> right. What about me? Shut up. Shut up. No time. Let's fuck keep up. going. Goddamn Hambo, and always interrupting. <laughs> well, the infection raged through Garfield's body, resulting in several more surgeries without sanitation or anesthesia throughout August of 1881. None of this alarmed Dr. Bliss. At one point, he even cut his hand accidentally on one of his instruments and got Garfield's infective blood in his own wound, and he too developed a fever, but he completely ignored it. Like, he even had to wear a fucking sling. Because his hand was so <laughs> yeah. swollen with what they called pus fever. He's like, ah, shit happens, right? Ah, you know, it's it's not related. By this point, Garfield had stopped eating, and that was what alarmed Bliss the most. So he decided to feed the president by giving him a mixture of dissolved beef, warmed milk, egg yolk, and morphine. Ugh, that doesn't sound appetizing. <laughs> no, I don't want to eat that. Oh, also... It was through a tube in the president's butthole every four hours. <laughs> no taste buds in the butthole, I guess. Yeah, you gotta numb it up with the morphine. And then, you know, that beef and egg yolk and all that warm milk will just slide right up the gullet, I guess you say. Ill-dissolved beef. Mmm. Mmm. Just like Uncle used to make. They take the beef and put it in fucking acid and turn it into, like, beef puree, I guess? And I, it, it The book didn't indicate if it was cooked beef. I don't know if it makes a difference when it's going up your b-hole. Like, at that point, like, okay, whatever. Well, eventually he mixed in whiskey and charcoal. But for some reason, none of that worked at all. And I like that second move. Yeah. Because, like, Obviously, the president was shoving up barbiturates, you know, so he put that activated charcoal up there, but also the whiskey. So he stayed mellow and calm, (laughs) but that activated charcoal would stop that absorption and and prevent the OD, if you will. Oh, I mean the overdose, not OD. (laughs) Not OD. Not OD's lipstick. No. (laughs) Like he shoves that tube up his ass, he starts pouring it like a... A bottle and bond down the tube. And the president's like, I should host a history podcast. He's like, that's too far. Let's put some charcoal in there. This guy's (laughs) way too far gone. He said too much. He said too much. (laughs) 
Finally, Garfield had enough. He asked to be taken to the sea so he could die in peace. He was loaded up on a train and taken to Elberon, New Jersey. And how long had it been at this point, Chris? Like It was almost three months. Yeah, or, it was well over, it was a well couple over months. two months. 70-something days, I think, at this point, right? Yeah. Hard to blame the guy. Right. Thousands of people lined the tracks and watched in silence up until one point in the journey where the train struggled to climb a hill. It was then that hundreds of men got behind the train and pushed it up the hill themselves. Yeah, and real talk, uh, reading this and where the police like gently lifted his wagon so the wagon would hit potholes when he was on his way out to the White House. Like it, it, I'm not too proud to admit that it kind of got me a little misty. I started like, man, that's fucking like such a a loving gesture for a great man. You like, you just, uh, I start feeling. Good, and I call my dad. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry for all the shit I've said about you. I, I love you so much. He's like, who the fuck is this? What is wrong with you? Is this my gay son? Are you calling me right now? Like, fuck, hang up, hang up, hang up. You're accidentally hitting the number three instead. It's not end. You know, it's a flip phone. <laughs> and is right next to the three. Right. Right. At 10.35 p.m. on Monday, September 19th, 1881, President Garfield died of sepsis at the age of 50 as he listened to the sounds of the Atlantic Ocean through his window. Wait. I'm, I'm sorry. What day was that? Monday? Yep. It was a oh. Monday. Oh. No wonder Garfield hates Mondays. That's why he hates Mondays. He died Holy on one. shit. <laughs> and it all came together. It took an oh. hour and a half for that joke at the very beginning to make sense. Interesting. You're here. You're with us. You're like, ah, I got to pause it. I'm laughing so goddamn hard right now. Very interesting. Dr. Dr. Willard Bliss would accept no blame for the president's death. But in reality... Had the doctors done absolutely nothing at all following the shooting of the president, he would have likely survived his wounds. With modern medicine, he'd have been up walking around within two, three days. Yeah, and that, that was another thing because Alexander Graham Bell was able to prove his uh, invention actually worked by scanning Civil War veterans who had bullets still lodged in them. Yeah, I like the one guy, like, it was in his brain. Yeah. He had a fucking musket ball in his brain. And right. was, uh, I believe the quote was, none worse for wear. <laughs> right. Like, well, how bad off was fuck? he to begin with? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just chilling in his brain. Yeah. He's like, you know what? I really like playing Minecraft and Fortnite. It's like, oh, God, this guy's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> he gets shot in the head and he's like, I still really like Minecraft and Fortnite. Oh, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. I could. I can definitely play Among Us for longer than an hour in my entire life. <laughs> right. Oh, I think we need to put him down. Something seriously <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Charles Gateau's trial began on November fourteenth. He attempted to plead guilty by reason of insanity, and his lawyer was able to find a psychologist who agreed. At one point, Gateau shouted out, "I deny the killing." We admit the shooting, which wasn't totally inaccurate because this was right after the claim that the doctors had actually killed him through the infection. Right. Still, once the closing arguments ended, 
it only took the jury an hour to convict Gateau. As he was being let out, Gateau shouted, God will avenge this outrage! On June 30th, 1882, Gateau was led to the gallows. His hands were tied behind his back. He had written a poem to use as his last words and had requested a full orchestra to back him up, but that was denied. So, instead he paraphrased Matthew chapter 18 verse 3 by saying, Except ye become as a child, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then, he read his entire poem in a super high falsetto voice that was meant to sound like a small child. (laughs) No, uncle! No! No! No, uncle! (laughs) It went for a while, too. It was really long, yeah. Holy shit, this dude was doing this the whole time? How uncomfortable. (laughs) And my theory on this, Chris... Sambone. What? It wasn't the falsetto voice of a small child. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it was his googly-eyed, lipstick-hand companion mm-hmm. crying out. He's the one that pulled the trigger. That's why the Gateau insanity thing, it never made sense. <laughs> it never made sense that he would want to kill. Dude, I'm just, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. I am, Yes. This has Hambone written all over it. <laughs> you know, just sitting there like, oh, no, I'm going to say a little prayer, too. That's re- Oh, he's just going to talk like a child. That's stupid. <laughs> That's it. stupid. It was fucking Hambone. Son of a if bitch. If you've listened to any of our podcast listener, you're on my side. Chris is an idiot. Yeah. He's obviously always drunk during these. Very. This was clearly Hambone. It's the most logical explanation. Disembodied ghost hand that can travel through time and space showed up to kill the president and then give a eloquent poem reading during the execution of the guy who pulled the trigger. No, he pulled the trigger. You almost had it, man. You're so <laughs> close to the truth. <laughs> You're right there, Chris. You're right there. Yeah, just finish me off. His last words before he was executed were, Glory! 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 He really liked that movie with Matthew Broderick. (laughs) In the end, the world was robbed of a good man and a potentially great president when he was shot by an idiot who was overconfident in his own abilities and accomplishments and then finished off by a doctor who had the exact same flaws. That is why we can confidently say you should question everything and trust no one except us. End of story. Woo! We did it. We did it again. Told that story. That's a very cool, very interesting story. Really enjoyed that one. I was surprised how much I enjoyed learning about that one. I hope you guys feel the same. Well, Greg, right now, though, it is time to get into the Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. While he was a congressman, James Garfield had actually tried to get the Baltimore and Potomac train station torn down because it was an eyesore and the tracks ran dangerously across the National Mall, resulting in multiple deaths and injuries. Instead, it wound up being the place he got shot. Fast fact number two. Even though Garfield lost his appetite, he still enjoyed a 
glass of cool milk on the rag. When the people heard about this, they began sending milk to the White House. A Baltimore dairy even sent him a cow that was placed on the White House lawn. Every day, the White House cook would bring him milk and would sprinkle it with a little holy water just for good measure. Lot of good that did. Fast fact number three. Everyone wanted Gateau dead. People wrote in a newspaper suggesting he be fed to a pack of wild dogs or killed by making him consume himself by being fed two ounces of his own flesh each and every day. Even one of William Sherman's men, who were there to guard Gateau, took a shot at him, but missed, and that guy was arrested and charged with attempted murder. Fast fact number four. Today you can find the spleen and parts of the skeleton of Charles Gateau at the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Washington, D.C. The drawer below that contains two spines. One belonged to James Garfield and was even used as evidence in Gateau's trial. The other belonged to our old buddy, noted tiny dick assassin, John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> All right, that does it for the James Garfield assassination. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, let us know. Send us an email. Send us a comment on the social media. Uh, speaking of which, you can find at 100ProofHistory on Instagram mostly, sometimes Twitter, sometimes Facebook, mostly the Instagram. Uh, you can also find us at 100ProofHistory, or you can leave that note, or you can send us a voicemail, or you can join the Patreon, where just for $3 a month, you can get early access to our current releases, and you get over 100 old episodes, mini episodes, stuff other people won't be able to get. Very cool stuff. Hope you check it out. Four, our esteemed invalid producer, Wolf Dick, his dearly departed mother, who told Chester A. Arthur he could be president, intro guy Dan, and our good friend Hambone. I am your sexiest of co-hosts, Christopher, and main host Gregory. What else? Uh, the outro music's almost done. We gotta go by! <laughs> You ever look at yourself on the video and you think, man, I look like a giant thumb? Uh, no, but when I look at you, I think that... Yeah, it works! It works! <laughs> <laughs> if, if that, if you're, yeah, if you want to sign that... Mm, 2021. <laughs> Put my X on it, because I can't read. <laughs> Spit on my mic. <laughs> Oh, I also spit on your performance in the last part of the intro. That's easy, man. All you gotta do is be president. Not want to be president. Nail it. Work for uh, Garfield. Work for Donald Trump. <gasps> Topical. Sorry. Sorry. I shouldn't go there. Sorry. That's terrible. I'm an idiot. Anyway. Anyway.